Thank you, Bella. Appreciate it, as always. Welcome back, everyone. We are here for the first edition of the Soccer Specialist Podcast in the year 2020. And today, we've got a lot to cover. We are going to talk about why a lack of size or athleticism doesn't mean you cannot become an elite soccer player. It's one of the great things about the, the sport of soccer. Okay, Big, strong, fast. Those are the traits that dominate youth soccer in America. Okay, If you don't have them, there's a good chance as a player that you're going to get overlooked by, by coaches at tryouts. And despite all the lip service that we pay nowadays to development over winning, most coaches, even most parents, they, they still want the fast kids on the team that stand out because of their speed. Because at younger ages, this makes it a lot easier for teams to win by playing kick and chase, by being aggressive and swarming to the ball defensively. You win a lot of games at the youth level because at that age, the soccer cannot overcome the speed and size advantage. The technical skill, the, the soccer IQ just isn't there. But by relying on that and playing in a way that creates wins at a young age using that athleticism, is setting all these kids up for failure at the later ages because you're not developing many players that can play at the not next level because we're not focused on developing their skills. We're focused on developing, we're focused on taking advantage of the early athletic development of certain players. When I look back in the, the past decade of coaching, I personally think one of the best things that ever happened to me as a coach was starting out with what was called a B team. Okay, this meant we didn't get first crack at any players at tryouts because the A team got to take what they what they wanted. It also meant it was a struggle even with parents of players where our A team may not have wanted them. They might still go to a different club because of the stigma of a B team. But somehow, magically being on an A team means their player is better than if they were on a B team. And I know it doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's how it works. So. I, as a coach, had to start looking at different things in tryouts to determine what a player had in terms of their potential and what they could be longer term, Okay, which is the important thing anyway. That's why I said I'm, I'm glad it happened to me. It made me a better coach. It made me a better um, scout, for lack of a better word, in trying to find the players at young ages that could be helped, that had something in them that was going to help them develop as a soccer player, even if they weren't standing out because of a lack of athleticism, right? Because I was never going to get the bigger, stronger, faster kids. I wasn't going to get those kids that stood out at tryout because of those qualities, okay? So I had to look for something different, and I'm really glad as a coach that that happened to me, okay? I had to look for players who were doing little things that maybe you saw you saw flashes of what they could be down the road if they they got correct coaching if they got support with uh, players around them and, and in an environment where they could take the time to develop those things okay because it is true that big and fast it overcomes a lot at the young ages in soccer these are the players that look like future stars simply because they're fast okay but those things eventually end up not helping them in the long term you, you for example, I guess the easiest one is, is not even just kick the ball down and the fast player outruns it, but they get a ball in space and their idea of dribbling is to pass the ball in space behind the defender and then just out sprint that defender to the ball. As you develop, as you start playing more evenly matched athletes as they get older, smarter soccer players, that type of thing's not going to work. Even against a player that's not as fast because they become a smarter player, they understand how to drop cut you off from the ball and take it away from you. Okay. So we're doing a disservice to our players by not focusing on the things, even for the faster athletes that are going to help them later on. So what I want to talk about here is a lot of the things that you can focus on as a player 
that are going to help you become much better and going to help you become better as you get older so that at, at the higher levels you can compete even if you never become one of the fastest players. Okay, What I call little things, big results. There's so many little things you can do in soccer that have nothing to do with your athletic ability or your talent that can help you become a really, really important player to any team. Okay. They may seem insignificant. A lot of coaches might not talk about them very much. They might not emphasize them in practice, even though they should, because the truth is they can really be the difference between being a great player five or six years from now and an average player or simply a player that plays and a player that sits on the bench. By focusing on these little things now, you can reap big rewards down the line and become a much better soccer player, especially if the athletes and the faster kids now don't get the coaching that builds on their athleticism and gives them the soccer tools to compete at a higher level as they get older. You know, number one, and I've talked about this, I've talked about a number of these things in bits and pieces in other places. Number one is focus on being mentally engaged in the process, okay? Because it's not about how much or how hard you practice. It's about how much you are mentally engaged in the process while practicing. This is obviously true for games as well. I think all of you know what I'm talking about. Players away from the ball have a tendency to stand and watch. They're not mentally engaged in what's going on. They're not thinking ahead and anticipating where the play might go and where they need to be. So everything else follows this idea of mental engagement. By being mentally engaged, we're simply what a lot of people think of as being focused on what you're doing, being in the moment. You'll rapidly improve your technical skills with the ball, dramatically improve your game without the ball, and you'll do all the little things that get big results on a consistent basis. Players who, after having it taught to them by coaches, verbally, by showing them on the field, by having them go through certain drills to do certain things, like the simple act of taking the ball with the, the back foot, letting it roll across your body so you're open to the field and taking the ball with the correct foot. Players who are not doing that after years, those are players who are not mentally engaged. They're not really focused on learning what they're supposed to be doing, okay, because it's obviously not sinking in. Okay. Some people, as I mentioned, say, call this being in the moment. And one of the first high level athletes I ever heard discuss this as being a problem for them was the great tennis player going back to the 80s, uh, Martina Navratilova, who was really one of the first top athletes, at least that I had heard about, who went to a sports psychologist because early in her career, she had an issue with thinking ahead. She'd get ahead big in a match and she'd start thinking about the end result of winning the match and not being in the moment, in the point, in the the, the stroke, um, and that would get her in trouble because she'd lose her focus on what she's doing, and the next thing you know, she'd lost a point or a game or a couple of games, and the matches changed. And as she was able to learn to become in the moment, become mentally engaged, she re she improved dramatically. She was able to close out those matches easily that she got leads, and obviously she became one of the greatest tennis players of all time. And understand that players who only rely on natural talent, or 99.9% .9 of them at least, they will eventually hit a wall. They're going to come up against much better soccer players. And as they get older and the talent pool shrinks and you have your more competitive players, a lot of times that athleticism evens out. Even if you have world-class speed, you're going to be playing against them with players that have world-class speed. Okay, And so if you don't have the technical ability and the soccer IQ to deal with that, you're going to be in trouble. Now, in many phenoms, phenoms at young ages are nowhere to be found when they're older because they haven't been developed. And players who are, can't miss are no longer can't miss. Okay, And many average athletes, many average 
soccer players in terms of their athleticism if given the opportunity and the coaching and the time to develop and they're willing to do what these natural athletes won't, they will eventually become the ones that are the top players playing at a higher level, going on to college, maybe the pros, playing for national teams. Those are the ones that are going to survive. Okay, Too many athletes either don't put in the extra work they need to succeed because they're getting by on that athleticism, or they may be doing some of these things, but again, they're not mentally engaged, so it's really not all that helpful. You'll develop to a degree because you are doing something, but not necessarily to the degree that you should. And it, because they're going through the motion, they're cruising along on autopilot. For example, if they run two miles as part of their training or what have you, their time never improves. Okay, that's not how elite players train. Even their warm-ups have this, this air of intensity and focus. I'll take a look at you know Barcelona or, or any of these academies. Sometimes you can go find them on YouTube where you see them doing simple rondos or you know keep away drills or whatever even a warm-up and the the pace of the ball and and the engagement of the players it's on a different level and i think a lot of times our youth players need to see that in older players and older elite players because they don't truly grasp it they don't understand what it is because they've never seen it so how can they do it themselves but every time you train is an opportunity to get better and elite players take advantage of that opportunity average players go through the motions Understand this. This is really, really important. This time you have as an athlete is a gift. Athletic careers are all too short, and it's gone like that in a blink. Get the most out of it. Enjoy the opportunity to play. Enjoy the process of improving so that you can go out and compete on the highest level of which you're capable. Because if you're not out there putting in the work, I can tell you right now someone else is, and one day you're going to compete against those players, or you're going to compete for time on the same team as those players, or maybe even a roster spot. You can have less natural talent, never be outworked, okay? And there's not a program, a coach in the world that can help you if you don't approach, approach your training with the intensity, focus, and determination that it needs. And understand something, let, let me make this clear. Um, that doesn't mean, and what I said, and not a lot of people take that as, oh, they can't be doing soccer all the time 24-7. I absolutely agree. Recovery is a part of training, and it's an important part that a lot of people overlook, and this is both mental and physical. That's one of the reasons I talk about mental engagement. A mentally engaged 15 or 20-minute training session is much better than a haphazard, go-through-the-motions, two- or three-hour marathon session out on the field. Those players who can focus hard for short periods of time, because understand, mental focus is exhausting too, and you can't do it for a very long period of time. Two, three, four-hour training sessions are ridiculous. You're not going to get much out of most of them. So I'm not talking about when I say, you know, someone else is out there doing the work, you're not. I, I don't mean you need to be out there all the time, quality over quantity. Ideally, a, a little balance of both. There has to be some quantity, of course. You know, soccer is a thinking player's sport, and it's a thinking sport at a lightning-fast pace. As I tell them players all the time, especially as you get older and better, you have less and less time on the ball, which is why all these things like vision and anticipation and taking the ball with the correct foot, know what you're going to do before you get the ball, checking your shoulder. Those are all things you must do if you want to succeed because they may only give you a half second with the ball. And that half second could be the difference between being a top player and a player who gets cut. It's, it's that razor thin, uh, the, the margin of excelling at this sport. It's a fast-paced, creative 
decision-making sport, and those decisions have to be, be made so quickly under so much pressure. This is why soccer IQ, decision-making, plays such a huge role in the success or failure of any player or even any team. Look, if you take a touch on the ball as you get into a, a higher level of soccer, before you've decided what you're going to do with it, you will struggle because the, that other team is not going to give you the time to take a touch and then look around and then make a decision. You will already have lost the ball. Okay, soccer is like a com complicated 22-piece chess match played at high speed. All those pieces are moving all the time, and it's happening while having to deal with a ball and not being able to use your hands. It's not easy for parents who are getting their kids into soccer and don't know much about the sport watching on the sideline, and you get frustrated with mistakes at younger ages. Go out and play sometimes. It is not an easy sport. And you can't expect 10, 11, 12-year-olds to look like Barcelona or Manchester City or whatever team you want to fill in. One of my favorite quotes is from the midfield midfielder Javi Hernandez, who once said, most of the players were quicker and stronger than me. Decision-making is what controls our actions. Some players have a mental top speed of 80, while others are capable of reaching 200. I always tried to reach 200. One of the reasons he was such a great player. He thought faster. He was more aware. His vision was better. His anticipation was better. And his decision-making was better than his opponents. It gave him a lot more time. So even, he wasn't average technically, but even if he was, he still would have been a pretty darn good player because of all those other things. So simply put, think faster, play faster. Even if your average physical skills haven't improved, by thinking faster on the pitch and making good decisions, you're going to be a better player. So if you want to elevate your game, you need to embrace the little things in the game that don't require athleticism or skill. Doing them will make you better, they'll make you more valuable to your team, and they will set you apart from most players out on the pitch. Because the most important, quote unquote, I hate using air quotes, but I just did it, in soccer is analytic ability. It's between the ears. That's where soccer is played. If you want to exceed, you need a high level of soccer intelligence. You have to be good between the ears. Okay. Now, in order to make good decisions with the ball, you need to know things like what you're going to do with it before you receive it, which I've mentioned. So, Because even a player with a fantastic first touch, they will struggle if they aren't aware of their surroundings and don't think about what they're going to do with the ball until after they take that first touch. Because the other team's going to close. They don't have time once they've taken that first touch to look around, see where teammates are, and make a decision. The game's too fast to make decisions after you receive the ball. In simpler terms, you don't always have to play first touch, but you need to be able to play first touch. And to be able to play one touch, you have to know your situation before you ever take that touch on the ball. You have to have vision and awareness to know the numbers around you and the situation where those players are. Know the number, the location, as I said, where they are. A player's around, so you know where the space is, where you can play the ball to a teammate, where you can dribble it, where you need to take the first touch, because it's not always going to be straight out in front of you. You may, may need to take it at an angle away from the pressure and into space. So think about it this way. Even if you have the skill to play one touch, you won't be able to do so successfully, obviously, unless you're aware of what's around you, and you've already made that decision, and you know where you're going to go with the ball. Obviously, you can't play first touch if you don't do that, okay? And in order to know what's around you, that means checking your shoulder constantly to see where the space is, where your teammates are, and where the opposing defenders are. 
And I say constantly because everything's always moving. Defenders are always moving. The ball's moving. Players are always readjusting so that you need to constantly be checking your shoulders. And great center, central midfielders like Lampard or Iniesta, they check their shoulder 800, 900,000 times a game, which is what every roughly six seconds for the entirety of a 90-minute match. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or, or what have you or, or Anchor, go to thesoccerspecialist.com slash podcast15. There's a 15-second video there of Frank Lampard checking his shoulder to give you a good idea of what I'm talking about. It's well worth a watch. Have your players watch it if this is uh, the parent or coach is listening. Because far too often from younger ages, and it continues all the way up through late teen years, way too many players, they become spectators when they don't have the ball and they watch the game. They wake up when that ball comes toward them, but by then it's too late because they don't know where anyone is. They don't know what's going on, so they don't know what to do with the ball. This is one of the reasons you get a lot of kicking. It's not even that they don't feel comfortable with the ball. They don't necessarily have the skills to do something. It's because they don't know what's around them. They don't want to lose the ball and give up a goal, so they just safe. They think it's safe. To just They just want to kick it away, get it away from themselves, get it out of trouble. Okay, so in order to take away that, that kick it away mentality, you need to know what is going on around you, which means checking your shoulder constantly, adjusting your movements to what you can see. That is going to make you a much, much better player by always seeing and evaluating what's going on around you. So much easier to anticipate what's going to happen next so that you're in the right place, so that you can make good decisions with and without the ball. This is going to increase your speed of play, and that is what soccer is about. It is a very fast-paced game, and speed of play is incredibly important if you want to make a good player, become if you want to become a good player. One of these things also is understanding passing angles. It amazes me how many players I see who think they're open, but they're not. And all they need to do is simply take one, two, or three little steps sometimes to the left or right, forward or backward, to create a little space from a defender to give their teammates actually a good passing angle for a pass they can complete. A lot of times, passes you see that are stolen because they're played into a defender's foot is the fault of the person receiving the pass. Sure, the player paying it, playing it, and making the pass, maybe they made a bad decision, but they're not getting any help from their teammate who's planted in a space in which they're not really open because they have not created a good passing angle. So understanding passing angles, focus again in these drills you're doing, then the passing drills, whether diamonds and triangles or simple, you know, very basic rondos or keepaways at younger ages, 3v1, 4v1. Understand movements involved. You're not supposed to plant yourself at a cone and stay there. Sometimes it just takes little shifts to the left or to the right, forward, backwards, to truly be open as opposed to being partially open. Always be moving. Soccer never stops, as we've talked about a few times. What's a good position one second may not be the next. In order to create good passing angles and seams for Team H, which is simply space between defenders to play a pass, these things disappear and appear all the time, and you have to readjust yourself so that you continue to be open and show for teammates in a way where they can actually complete a pass to you. All right? Does that make sense? Players like, this is something Ronaldo does incredibly well now. Uh, I give him all the credit in the world for changing how he played as, as he became older and lost some of his pace. He then became a central striker instead of someone that's going to take you 1v1 from 50 yards out on, on, the side of the, on the side of the field. He anticipates everything. His movement off the ball is fantastic. And he gets into those spaces, into the, 
in the right in front of the, the goal and finishes. He finds those space. He anticipates where the ball's going, and he gets there f first and buries it. I think Carly Lloyd has done that uh, fantastically later on in her career as well. Uh, she simply gets to the right spot. A lot of times the, the goals themselves for Renan, uh, Ronaldo or, or Carly are tap-ins. What they do that's fantastic is put themselves in a position to make those tap-ins that most, most players just don't. Okay, and this is the same with top-level central midfielders like, like uh, Lampard. The difference is instead of finishing, it's about helping the team keep possession of the ball and creating opportunities for other players with good decision-making. Okay, all great players, even the elite-level athletic ones, they read the game well and they make good decisions with and without the ball. And I get this is one of the things, and I, I mentioned the off-the-ball movement a lot because moving without the ball seems to be a huge struggle for most players to turn into a habit. So as a player, start with something simple. Every time you make a pass in practice, and talk to your coach about this as well. Maybe he'll, he'll help or she'll help with reminding you, but also understand what it is you're doing. And every time you make a pass, take three steps in any direction. And I give credit to Dan Blank for this one. That's where I first heard it. And it gets you moving. It gets you away from that pass and stand. Okay, man, this is getting really kind of long. I got, I have some other things I definitely want to get to, but we'll talk about that in another podcast. Again, to, to uh, see that video, go to thesoccerspecialist.com slash podcast 15. Also, don't forget to check out my soccer conditioning book, Dominate Game Day. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, the paper version is thesoccerspecialist.com slash paper SC. Uh, the Kindle version, thesoccerspecialist.com, Kindle slash Kindle SC. Uh, don't forget, if you have questions, go to thesoccerspecialist.com slash contact. Check out the YouTube channel. That's on my list of things to do for this year is getting some more videos up there on a consistent basis, thesoccerspecialist.com slash YouTube. Uh, once again, I appreciate everyone out there who's listening. I hope that you and your players get something out of this that they can take to the pitch, they can take to their training, they can get in their heads mentally that can help them become a fantastic soccer player. And I will talk to you later. Mm -hmm.